January. We are glad you're along this morning. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Son of justice, light our way. In all our work at home or away from home, illumine our choices by the light of the gospel. In all our dealings with loved ones or strangers, enlighten our hearts with the light of your love. In all our decisions, shed upon our path the light of your will. You are our light and our salvation, Lord. Grant us light to see your truth and wisdom to love what we see, that we may walk in your ways today and all the days of our life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And since it is her feast today, St. Mary Ann Cope, pray for us. An American saint. We'll talk more about her as the morning continues. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running if you so choose to check that out. It's in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Boniface Hicks will be along and talk about a verse from one of the epistles of St. John that says that we will see Jesus like he is. What does that mean? We're going to talk to Father Boniface about that. Marlon de la Torre will be uh, discussing St. Francis de Sales on holiness and love of God. Of course, St. Francis de Sales gets celebrated in January. Danielle Bean will discuss how to let God love you in the new year. That sounds fairly elementary, but sometimes it's a little harder than it appears. And then Dr. Matthew Bunsen will be along to talk more about St. Mary Ann Cope. She ended her life in ministry in Hawaii, and uh, that's where Dr. Matthew Bunsen grew up, so he's got a lot to say about her. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Just hours after a small New Hampshire town kicked off first in the nation presidential primary voting, the rest of the state is poised to hit the polls this morning. Six, Six registered voters in the small town called Dixville Notch, clear near the Canadian border, continued a decades-long tradition of casting their votes at midnight. Of the four Republicans and two independents that make up all of the area's voters, all cast their votes for former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Pope Francis met yesterday with journalists accredited to the Holy See, calling on them to love humanity and learn humility. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The beauty of your work around it is founded on the solid rock of responsibility in truth, not on the fragile sands of gossip and ideological interpretations. Pope Francis offered that reminder on Monday to 150-odd Vatican journalists, often called Vaticanisti, who are members of the International Association of Journalists accredited to the Vatican. I know your passion, your love for what you recount, and your trials, said the Pope. He apologized for the times when their work to cover the Pope and the Vatican have taken the reporters away from their families. Pope Francis noted that being a journalist is a vocation, something like that of a doctor, who, he said, chooses to love humanity by caring for its illnesses. The Holy Father went on to express his gratitude to the Vaticanisti for their journalistic work and for their constancy and patience in building bridges of knowledge and communication instead of divisions and diffidence. 
Taking his cue from an 80-year-old Vaticanista, the Pope urged the group to love humanity and learn humility. The Pope also recalled an admonition by his predecessor, Pope St. Paul VI, who said the work of journalists covering the Church should not be guided by secular and political categories. Pope Francis thanked the Vaticanisti for seeking to look beyond appearances and avoiding the twin pitfalls of turning news about the Vatican into a mere spectacle or of idealizing it under the guise of politics. Departing from his prepared text, Pope Francis thanked the Vatican journalists for the delicacy that you often show in speaking about the scandals of the Church, referring to their respect for victims and their efforts to avoid dwelling on the more lurid details. The work of reporters covering the Vatican concluded the Pope lies in not hiding reality or sugarcoating tensions, but in striving to capture the essential in light of the nature of the Church. I'm Devin Watkins. The White House says it's committed to, quote, doing everything it can to pass federal legislation to make abortion a federal right. Director of the White House Gender Policy Council, Jennifer Klein, joined a White House briefing yesterday to mark the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which was overturned in 2022. She outlined the steps that the Biden administration is taking, including making contraception more accessible, as well as what she described as emergency reproductive care. The U.S. Navy is declaring dead and identifying two Navy SEALs who went missing in the waters of the Gulf of Aden near Somalia. Christopher Chambers and Nathan Ingram disappeared earlier this month during a special covert mission to seize Iranian missile parts on their way to Yemen. One fell into rough waters. The other jumped in to rescue him. President Biden honored the two earlier yesterday, calling the incident a profound loss for our country. Defense officials say the U.S. and United Kingdom carried out another round of strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen yesterday. Brian Shook reports. The joint airstrikes hit an underground storage site and locations associated with the group's missile and air surveillance capabilities. This is the second time both U.S. and U.K. forces have conducted strikes on the Houthis in Yemen since the group began attacking international shipping in the Red Sea in November. The Iranian-backed group says the attacks are in retaliation for Israel's bombing of Gaza. I'm Brian Shook. The youngest son of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has died at the age of 62. The King Center says Dexter Scott King passed away yesterday. His wife, Leah Weber King, says he passed peacefully in his sleep at their home in Malibu. He had been battling prostate cancer, according to family. And scientists have discovered at least four new species of octopus near Costa Rica. Officials from the Schmidt Ocean Institute announced the discoveries, saying an international team of scientists uncovered the new species during two expeditions last year. The scientists were looking at seamounts off the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. Scientists say more than 300 deep-sea specimens were collected from those expeditions. So four new octopuses. Octopi. Octopi. I think, uh, right? It's octopi. Like 32 legs worth? Yeah. Something like that. That's right. That's right. They have eight legs each. You thought I couldn't do math this time of morning. I'm so proud. It's good to have you back, Matt. It's good to be back. Thanks for all of you who've been praying for me. A little bronchitis. 
in the yeah. Swaim household. Yeah, that's not uh, good. That uh, kicked in heading into the weekend. Um, but uh, I do have one question about the, the octopus situation. I'm sure I'm not going to be able to answer it. So, I mean, if you're down there and you find something, how do you know, like, if it's a whole new species or just a weird-looking specimen of a species we already know about? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it could be this is just a weird-looking squid that we've already discovered before. This one just happens to be kind of like a funky color and, like... I mean, I'm sure they have protocol for all of that. Usual. You know? I don't know. I do. I wonder what what makes these octopi stand out. What, like, what what distinguishes them from the other octopi that have been discovered? But isn't that crazy that we're still in a world where we're discovering new species? We it's uh, nuts. We live in a very a place built by a very creative person. Amen to that. It's nine minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Boniface Hicks. He is the author of a couple of different things, but among them, Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. He co-wrote it with Father Thomas Acklin. It's a great guide to really understanding uh, the Catholic perspective on prayer. Father Boniface, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Great to be with you. Great to be with you as well. And there's this mysterious verse uh, that has always fascinated me, and it's in 1 John chapter 3. It's verse 2. And uh, John says, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, meaning Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, that's a verse loaded with mystery. What are we supposed to make of it? <laughs> well, uh, it, it's a beautiful promise. Uh, what we're made for is not to just be like uh, one of those uh, squids or octopi that you were <laughs> describing in a few moments ago, but uh, we're really rather made to be like him. And that transformation happens from the inside out, and that's the, the place that we already are like him in our, in our vulnerability and our capacity for relationship and the depth of love within us. But when that principle, which is a little bit distorted, and then it's also limited by time and space, when that becomes our entire existence, when we're transformed from the inside to be pure love, uh, then we shall be like Him, and we, we shall see Him as He is. His, uh, his inside is on His outside, and our inside will be on our outside, and, and that will be a place of pure communion, of pure love. It's, uh, and it's, it's what we get tastes of. We get tastes of it already in our relationships when we have beautiful, loving relationships where there's real safety to be vulnerable and real intimacy and interiority. And we get tastes of that in our experience with Him in prayer as well. When we, when we encounter Him not from the outside, we're, we're often, that's the, the journey of, uh, the spiritual journey is moving from the outside to the inside that I stop focusing on what my eyes see so much, and I start to pay more attention to what my heart sees, we could say. And then the communion that we experience, the interior communion, happens not through the, the external senses with God, but rather through those, those internal senses. So that journey of deepening interiority uh, eventually breaks through to the point that we see as we have never seen. Uh, heaven is the, the beatific vision where we finally see uh, where where love becomes visible in a new way. 
So it is, uh, it is really mysterious. It's exciting. It's something to, to look forward to and to dream about. And it's uh, the kind of thing that captivates musicians and artists and other masters of, uh, of symbolic communication in order to try and capture that which through, in this life can only be imagined through the, the vision of faith, but in, in the next life will actually be seen as he is. Well, I didn't coach you before this, but you said the two words I was trying to get you to say to help sum up this. <laughs> we shall see him as he is, and we shall be like him. And that's beatific vision. Uh, that's a, a phrase that Catholics toss about uh, fairly often to say. Uh, it's just usually sometimes just a coded way to say heaven, right? Being up in heaven mm-hmm. with all the other people in perfect bliss and joy. Uh, but to really reflect on what that beatific vision must actually be like. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing to try and wrap your mind around. Well, it's an impossible thing <laughs> to wrap yeah. your mind around exactly, actually. so Your mind's not big um, enough but, to wrap around it. So No, that's right. It's, uh, it's a beautiful principle that's been very helpful for me is that, uh, you know, we really cannot see. So I, I just described a bunch of ways that we move around it with, with symbols, music, art, and um, and, and then we have a sense of interiority, but, uh, but we're always limited by the veil of faith. Our, our knowledge, our seeing, our thinking, our mind can only go so far. But the beautiful thing is that our heart pierces the veil. Love, the love that we have now is the same love that we have in heaven. That is the thing that remains the same. Our, our way of seeing and knowing will change in a, uh, in a, in a fundamental way, uh, that, that just doesn't doesn't get there now. So that's uh, the thing we're always running up against is that veil of faith that requires our our trust in this life. But it'll be opened up in the next life, so that it won't just be a, an imagination or a limitation. But uh, the same way that we love will will flow into our vision as well. Yeah, I think we get glimpses of what it might be like from time to time when we feel like a pure joy in something that has it's completely an unselfish joy right uh you know the birth of a child is a perfect example of this right pure joy uh driven by completely like unselfish motives right or 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 there're little things like this that we can get hints at uh but what must it be like you know to have uh that pure vision of joy motivated purely by love instead of selfishness i mean that's something that's something i need to do better on because uh, I would like to, I would like to be in that space for all eternity. That's right, absolutely. Yeah, Pope Benedict in uh, his encyclical on hope describes it as being plunged into an ocean of infinite love. <laughs> that sounds and pretty good. The, so, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is yeah, at the very least better than the alternative. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's um, for sure. Well, the book is called Personal Prayer, A Guide to Receiving the Father's Love. Uh, it's by Father Boniface Hicks. He co-wrote it with another Benedictine monk, Father Thomas Acklin. It's a great reflection on prayer and a great helpful starter guide for anyone who is trying to dig into this more. Thank you so much, Father Boniface. Have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too, Matt. All right. It's a quarter past. We're back with headlines right after this. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? 
Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 17 minutes past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The New Hampshire presidential primary is now underway after a small New Hampshire town kicked off the voting at midnight. Pro-abortion advocates in several states marked yesterday's anniversary of Roe v. Wade by launching efforts to enshrine abortion in state constitutions. And Pope Francis met yesterday with journalists accredited to the Holy See, calling on them to love humanity and learn humility. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, thank you for covering for me Hey, yesterday. You know... I mean, I would like to say that it was my pleasure, but the show is just not nearly as fun it's not when you're not fun. here. It's not nearly as fun not being on it. Yeah. Oh, so, I bet. Little, uh, little illness coming through the house. Just want to put it out there to all of you all who are struggling with various illness. I feel like everybody I know has been sick during January. I know, right? In some ways. I know, uh, actually, there are a lot of people in my world who've experienced some sort of loss or tragedy just in these first few weeks of 2024. And uh, just want to let you all know we're praying for you, uh, praying for peace and consolation. And I don't know about you, uh, but Lent can't come fast enough for me. Like, uh, spit out my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Well, be prepared to maybe spit it out for Lent. I don't know. But um, no, I I abide by the personal rule of. If my penance is actually a penance for everyone else around me, it's not really. We've a had this discussion before yeah. on the Sunrise Morning Show about if one of us giving up coffee is actually going to be harder on the other one mm-hmm. than on the one who gives it up. And it would be harder on all of our morning show and listeners. And we don't want to do that. So. so there's other stuff. Yeah. 
There's other stuff along the way. But uh, Ash Wednesday now, it's like less than a month. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, Valentine's Day, I'm, I'm looking Day, forward to in it. Fact. Yeah, it'll be a Valentine's Day, uh, which is interestingly enough, as I've put it before, uh, Ash Wednesday also doubles as Catholic Singles Awareness Day, which means that if you see someone, if you're a single young Catholic or Catholic of any age, and you see another Catholic with ashes and no ring, you can say, hey, uh, would you be interested in going out for one small meal or possibly two snacks that put together would not equal another meal? Such and a great can, pickup line. That's a, I mean, there you go. Colleen's such a lucky woman. Um, unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. At any rate, all I'm saying is I'm ready for Lent. January didn't start the way that I was hoping, and I, I need to get back on... Well, back on that track, yeah. and the church gives us that chance here in just a few weeks. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. How does St. Paul see himself? Galatians 2.20 gives us a clear answer. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is St. Paul saying that he's possessed by Christ? Of course not. But by an act of faith, Paul has made himself a servant of Christ. By that act of faith, Paul welcomes the Spirit of Christ into his very soul, who shapes in his heart the very being of Christ. He empties himself of his hopes and dreams so that the real hopes and dreams that God has for him may be brought to fruition. Paul is not like a robot taking orders from Christ. Rather, by his own free will, Paul chooses to allow the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to shape his very being. He recognizes that Jesus Christ is the primary minister, preacher, and priest of the faith, and by his love and service of Christ, Paul becomes truly free. He asks the Christians around him to follow his example. If Christ lives in one's heart, we will discover that our life is purer and stronger than if it came from us alone, because it truly comes from Christ's heart. And this is what the heart of Paul teaches us. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Tuesday morning. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Marlon De La Torre, Senior Director of the Department of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. He writes at knowingisdoing.org. Good morning, Marlon. Go Bucks. Good morning, Annie. Go Bucks. So we're going to be talking about St. Francis de Sales, mm -hmm. holiness, and the love of God today. Mm -hmm. And 
You know, Marlon, we think of the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with your whole Mm -hmm. heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus tells us that the second is like it, love your neighbor Mm -hmm. as yourself. Why is it that those two commandments are so intricately linked? Why does my love of neighbor contribute to my holiness? You know, because God's love for us is so distinct because he made us. And so there's an intimate bond between the fact that God made you and I out of pure love and that we reflect that image of who he is out of love for us to be created, to breathe, to to speak, but really to praise him. And so when you reciprocate that love to God and God gives that love back because he freely can, that love has to be also shared amongst uh, your fellow creation, meaning your brother and sister in Christ. So there's an incarnational factor there. There's something anthropological here. So it's not only just love of God, but Christ is reminding us, I came and became man. I became fully human. I am fully divine. I am here to represent God, my Father in heaven, whom you see in me. So you're also to express that love to your fellow neighbor, to your fellow brother, to to your sister in Christ. And so there is a bond here. So it makes sense logically, even for the person who may not believe that there is a there is a progression here. If you love this deity, this God, and he wants you to love him, also love what he gave you, what he created in his image and likeness. And those people, whoever they are, family members, distant relatives, uh, colleagues, are also to be loved in that same fashion. So there, there's this uh, logical progression here of love, of not just of God, but he made us all. So we're supposed to love also his own gift that he gave us. St. Francis de Sales, in a quote that you have over at your blog, Mm. calls it a devout humanism. Talk more about what he had to say about this. Gosh, he had a very wonderful, joyful disposition and and a very strong disposition to to look at the human being and say, all right, you have a charism, you have a gift. Mm. And so he saw humanism as this ability to unwrap or unpack the divine in the human being. This is where we, we uh, developed the, the concept and the understanding of Christian humanism, that there is this carnal element, there's this physical element that exists in you and I. We're, we're both human beings, but it stems from a divine source. That's where our soul comes in. So uh, DeSales knew this. St. Francis was a master at looking at the human being and saying, you know what? I am called to love you. And you are a gift, and you may be a challenge to me, but I'm still going to love you with humility, with sanctity, with respect, because my intention is for you to know the Father in heaven. And this is where we understand this divine humanism comes into play. And he ties that into the incarnation, whether you read Introduction to Devout Life or his treatise on God, since he's the doctor of love. Um, he exasperates this in a very holy way, this whole notion of divine humanism. Well, this becomes very difficult when you actually start dealing with humans, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You've got such an interesting story that Mm -hmm. you use to kind of illustrate this difficulty that that we can have. Tell us about your your friend who worked in the financial realm. You know what? Good man, good soul, very successful. But one day he called me and said, I've had enough. I just just need to get to heaven. So I was like kind of not perplexed, but amused by his comments. Come on, you you can't be serious. You still have a long way to go. Uh, God willing, God wants you to, to really bear fruit here. He's like, no, I'm just done with people. In general, so he had been affected by this transition of society, and I guess many of us can uh, either relate to that in some way, where there's a degradation of of the sense of holiness, where people aren't respecting you as they once should, or there's a disregard for just basic decency of a human being. And he said to me, "He's like, 
you know what, Lord, just take me now. I'd rather be in heaven. It's very similar to, I would say, the prophet Jeremiah who just calls on the Lord and says, mm. you know, strike them down. I'm done. Look, yeah. just take me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. And so we just walked through a little bit of, of an understanding of, of the human condition, which helped him. Uh, but he got frustrated. And, and I can understand that. But I, I assured him and I told him to, to read Introduction to Devout Life because all of us have this distinctive uh, divine humanism that, that is waiting to be unleashed. And, and God made that purposely because we bear his image and likeness. So um, through prayer and discernment, the spirit director, he kind of got out of that funk, if, if yeah. that's an appropriate way of describing it. And, I think uh, it's a great way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. because, <laughs> I mean, you make such a great point in your piece here that— our desire for heaven should not be running away from those who are around us, but really yeah. a calling to heaven. This is the same way with, with religious life or, or even yes. with marriage, that it is a calling to, not a running away from. Mm -hmm. Amen. And, and I think that that is the reality of this divine humanism. If, if we look at the divine and the human being, even though he may not be acting that way, I think our call is to lead him or her to holiness. Uh, and it's going to hurt. Obviously, I mean, I'm sure we have experiences personally where, where that has taken a toll on us spiritually. But uh, ultimately, in the end, we're, we will be judged on how we run towards the person in pain, how we run towards that person in need, not away from them. Amen to that. We've been talking to Marlon De La Torre. Go read his piece. It's called St. Francis de Sales Reminds Us That Our Path to Holiness Is Nothing Without a Love for God, which then in turn means a love for neighbor as well. And you can find Knowing is Doing linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Marlon, thank you so much and go Bucks. Appreciate it, Annie. Go Bucks. And you can find all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Just click on the show notes for today. That's also where you can find our podcast and a link to watch the video feed that is up and running at our website and on YouTube, sonrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show, it's time for news. New Hampshire's polls are opening today for the presidential primary. While most attention has been on the Republican side where former President Trump faces former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, Democrats are on the ballot as well, just not Joe Biden. Biden is the first incumbent president in more than 50 years to not file in New Hampshire's primary. Instead, a host of other Democrats are on the ballot, including author Marianne Williamson and Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips. Meanwhile, a small New Hampshire town, as is a custom, kicked off the first in the nation Republican primary voting in the state. Trey Thomas reports. Six registered voters in a small town called Dixville Notch continued a decades-long tradition with four Republicans and two independents casting their ballots at midnight. So it didn't take long for poll workers to tally the votes. And as you can see on the board there, Haley six, Trump zero. There were no, no one took a Democrat. The rest of the state takes to the polls in the morning. I'm Trey Thomas. A Hamas official says there's, quote, no chance of releasing more Israeli hostages after Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected the Palestinian group's conditions. 
Mark Mayfield reports. Those conditions included leaving Hamas in power and a complete Israeli withdrawal from the Gaza Strip. The two sides have been at war since a Hamas attack on Israel in October killed more than 1,200 people. Since then, more than 25,000 people have been killed in Gaza, and Netanyahu has vowed that Hamas will be destroyed. An estimated 240 hostages were taken in the October attack, with more than 100 released in prisoner exchanges with Israel. I'm Mark Mayfield. Defense officials say the U.S. and United Kingdom carried out another round of strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen today. The joint airstrikes hit an underground storage site and locations associated with the group's missile and air surveillance capabilities. This is the second time both U.S. and U.K. forces have conducted strikes on the Houthis in Yemen since the group began attacking international shipping in the Red Sea back in November. The Iranian-backed group says the attacks are in retaliation for Israel's bombing of Gaza. The bishops of Haiti have written a letter asking for the release of six religious sisters who have been kidnapped. From Vatican Radio, James Bleers reports. In a letter, the Archdiocese and the Bishops' Conference states that Haitians are weary of what they call this reign of terror inflicted by gangs. It's urging the government to do its duty and protect citizens, saying on many occasions the church has denounced their silence, which is an attitude of contempt concerning the suffering of the people. Furthermore, they say they're distressed to witness a lack of apparent response to the scourge of kidnappings, which has been going on for more than two years. They say this has plunged Haiti into an increasingly chaotic crisis. They're demanding the safe release of the six nuns. The nuns are members of the St. Anne congregation who've devoted themselves to helping children and the poor in Haiti for 80 years, particularly with education and social development. They were abducted at gunpoint from a bus in Port-au-Prince along with two other people. No gang or armed group has yet claimed responsibility. In Haiti, Bishop Pierre-André Dumas has denounced the kidnappings. He's calling for an end to this deplorable criminality, saying this odious and barbaric act shows no respect for the dignity of consecrated women who've given themselves wholeheartedly and completely to educate and form the young, the poorest and the most vulnerable members of our society. His Holiness has appealed for their release, saying he learned of this with great sorrow, asking for the violence to cease, which is causing so much suffering. More than 2,000 people were kidnapped in Haiti last year. That's an increase of 80% on the previous 12 months. Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere in dire need of international funding from the international community, stability plus law and order, all of which are lacking. For Vatican Radio, Jens Blitz reporting. The U.S. Navy is declaring dead and identifying two Navy SEALs who went missing in the waters of the Gulf of Aden near Somalia. Christopher Chambers and Nathan Ingram disappeared earlier this month during a special covert mission to seize Iranian missile parts on their way to Yemen. President Biden called it a profound loss for our country. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35. The If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. 
Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, what are the chief qualities of a good confession? The chief qualities of a good confession are three. It must be humble, sincere, and entire. There was a moment when a man came into the confessional, and he was almost proud of all the sins he had committed. Someone else came into the confessional later, and they said they were sorry, but the priest got the impression that they really weren't. Finally, a third person came, and they said one sin, but not everything. And so what we see in each of these three bad confessions is that there was something missing. Humility was missing in the first. Sincerity was missing in the second. Entirety or totality was missing in the third. But when we make a good confession, we humble ourselves, let the Lord see us entirely as we are. And so when we make a good confession, that can help us to keep faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Danielle Bean. You can connect with her, invite her to speak, and listen to her girlfriend's podcast all at her website, daniellebean.com. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? I am doing fine, thank you. And, you know, people are making New Year's resolutions, of course. And, Danielle, I was looking up the most common resolutions in the United States. So here we go. Okay. One, save more money. Two, Mm -hmm. exercise more. Three, eat healthier. Four, spend more time with family and friends. Five, lose weight. Six, reduce spending. Seven, spend less time on social media. Eight, reduce stress on the job. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are all really good goals, no doubt. Yeah. But, Danielle, what are you suggesting that people do in the new year and why? Yeah, well, I recorded a recent episode of the Girlfriend's Podcast focused on this because I get the whole resolution thing. I like the idea of it, and I'm not discouraging anybody from setting goals, especially this time of year. And if you haven't gotten around to it, it's not too late, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of an arbitrary thing the start of the year, but it feels good to kind of look ahead and say, what do I want to accomplish in the coming 12 months? Um, And it's very good to do that. But in this particular episode, I was encouraging people to, maybe in addition to, but maybe rather than making those traditional kinds of resolutions, to just make one. Because in the end, there's only one thing that any of us ever needs to be doing. And the resolution that I recommended people do is let God love you, Hmm. which sounds kind of silly and simple, right? And yet... It is such a difficult thing. It is such a thing that we we are all challenged by, that we find difficult to do, that we get in our own way about doing it, or we don't consider ourselves worthy. And it's not something we pause, I think, often enough to examine what are the obstacles to me in my life letting God love me. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about some of those in just a second. But 
why do you think or what what effect will this have on my life if I resolve to allow God to love me and I actually succeed in this resolution? <laughs> I mean, you're just going to become a holy person, right? <laughs> because ultimately, that's what, we, that's, what, that's what we're made for, right? We're made for love, and God is love, and He's the source of all love. And so beginning there is actually the end, right? It's, it's everything that we need to be doing is to experience the, the love of God. And the more we become aware of who He is, I'm actually going through right now a rereading of the Diary of St. Faustina, mm. and as dramatic as her language is sometimes, I think to myself as I'm reading this, you know, imagine what it would be like to go through life or to have someone in your life who feels like this, thinks like this, talks like this, is so aware of the goodness and the mercy of God, the love of God, what a beautiful gift that would be in your life just to know somebody like that. But imagine being somebody like that. And we can all take steps toward becoming more and more open to allowing ourselves to experience that love of God. Yeah, most definitely. Okay, so I'm resolving to allow God to love me this year. Mm -hmm. Where do I start? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think this is just a, a very basic thing, right? You need to take time to do it. It takes time, and this is sometimes the number one obstacle and the reason why we don't advance in our spiritual lives is because we don't make the time for that. You know, allowing yourself to feel God's love doesn't happen while you're busy and distracted with 10,000 things the way that the world will tell you to do. The world will tell you to fill your calendar, to always have something, some noise playing in the background, or to be watching a screen. Never let yourself fall silent. Never let yourself be still. And yet it's in that stillness, it's in those moments of quiet that, that God is, right? In the, in the Book of Kings, we read that He comes as a still, small voice, mm-hmm. a whisper, a tiny whisper. We are not going to hear that if we are, you know, blaring Netflix every spare moment or scrolling through our phones when we're standing in line. You need to allow room for time that you take away every day to pray. You know, Jesus gives us this beautiful example time and again in the Gospels. We read again and again. He went away to pray. He went away to pray. He woke in the morning before anybody else was up to pray. And he went alone into the desert to pray, right? Over and over again, we read this. And our Lord is giving us this beautiful example of the human need for connection with God the Father. And that happens in going away to pray. Maybe we're not all going to make a trek out into the desert or climb a mountain to pray. That's fine. But spiritually, emotionally, you know, in your mind, how can you go away to pray? That means deliberately setting aside time and your routine every single day to sit in stillness and quiet. And it could just be five minutes. You know, I don't know your life. Maybe you've got a lot going on. But I know that you have five minutes. And begin there if that's all that you have. But know that you're made for this, to be still and to sit in the presence of God You're not going to experience the love of God when you're on the fly if you never make that time to be deliberate and be quiet and still. And in addition to that, or uh, as part of that, I guess I should say, controlling my thoughts is, is a big factor when it comes to all of the noise. Sometimes I'm just creating it myself. Absolutely. This interior noise, this interior conversation, and sometimes discussion, and sometimes argument that's going on in all, inside of all of our minds. You're so right. 
And, you know, sometimes I tell people that they need to control their thoughts, and they, they reject that. And they say, you know, I, I can't. I mean, like, I'm a victim of my thoughts. But that's not true. You can control your thoughts. Yes, you can't control a temptation that might pop up. But you get to decide what you're going to dwell on in your heart and in your mind. And, yes, we all get distracted in prayer. We all get distracted throughout our days, maybe with negative thoughts or negative self-talk. And yet we all have a choice in how we respond to that. Are we going to do a deep dive into it, or are we going to reject it and continue to focus our attention on what God is speaking to us? Are we going to focus our attention on good things in our lives and the good things that God is working in us in God's grace? And that's ultimately our decision. You get to be the boss of your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And all of this as well, Danielle, means that I need to get over myself and allow myself to be vulnerable. Yeah, that's a, this that's is probably a the hardest word. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody likes that, right? Yeah. No, and this is why we avoid all of these things. This is why we avoid the silence. This is why we avoid the stillness. This is why we don't take t- that time aside to pray, because we're avoiding our own vulnerability. We're, we're afraid of who we are and what we might learn about ourselves in that quiet and in that stillness. And really, that I understand that. That's part of the human experience. But don't let yourself stop there. You know, don't let these obstacles that you kind of sometimes put in your own path or that the enemy sometimes creates within you or tempts you with, don't let those things get in the way of you growing deeper in relationship with your Creator in the way that He built you for, in the way that He intends for you. God loves you with an infinite love, an infinite mercy. He wants to pour those graces out upon you. But He's also a gentleman, and He's not going to barge His way into your life and turn off the television and make you pay attention to him. He wants you to choose him. And so we have the opportunity to do that. It's a great responsibility, but it's also a great gift. What a privilege it is to choose God and to have him wait for us to choose him in that way. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much, Danielle Bean. You can find her girlfriend's podcast, which is at daniellebean.com, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Dr. Matthew Munson joins us to talk about today's saint, Marianne Cope. Stay with us. It's quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. 
Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Bible in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's voice and learn how to live life through the lens of Scripture with a new episode every day. I hope you'll join me as we discover how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, it's an open forum with Tim Staples and Joe Heschmeyer. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. New Hampshire's polls are opening today for the presidential primary. The bishops of Haiti have written a letter asking for the release of six religious sisters who have been kidnapped. And Pope Francis yesterday met with journalists accredited to the Holy See, calling on them to love humanity and learn humility. Next newscast in about 14-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 11 to... Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Good to be with you. And we are talking about St. Mary Ann Cope today. I know a saint who is very close to your heart as someone who uh, spent quite a bit of your life in Hawaii. Her feast day is January 23rd. Talk about her early life and her path to religious life. Yeah, there's uh, sometimes an assumption that uh, the saint who's best known for her role and work in Hawaii just sort of miraculously appeared one day in Hawaii. When, <laughs> in fact, uh, Mother Marianne was uh, someone of immense accomplishment long before she ever set sail across the Pacific to go to Hawaii. Born in Germany, she actually worked um, as a child in a textile factory to help her family, and then uh, because of the change of family circumstances, she was finally able to enter the religious life, and they quickly looked at her and put her in charge of a number of uh, goals within the religious congregation. And that included, ultimately, establishing first of the two Catholic hospitals in central New York, uh, and then uh, appointed superior general, and then taking over hospitals, public hospitals, so this is someone of um, immense talent, uh, but immense administrative skill. Uh, around the same time, around 1883, when that fateful letter arrived from Hawaii. I was going to say, okay, she's in New York, <laughs> and yeah, she's super impressive, but how does she get to Hawaii? Well, this is one of those uh, great stories that only happens, it seems, with saints. Um, mm-hmm. King Kalakaua of Hawaii, who is the last of the, the kings of Hawaii and one of the last of the monarchs of Hawaii, recognized that the leprosy was uh, a serious problem in his island kingdom. He had already been able to rely on the work of another truly great figure, and that's the St. Damien of Molokai. But he was on Molokai and the problems of leprosy were continuing throughout the islands. And he sent a letter to about 50 or so different religious congregations across the United States and across the world asking for their help. 
basically to come to Hawaii to care for the leprosy victims, those who were suffering from Hansen's disease. Only one responded, and that was Mother Marianne. And she very famously wrote that uh, she said, I am hungry for the work, and I wish with all my heart to be one of the chosen ones whose privilege it will be to sacrifice themselves for the salvation of the souls of the poor islanders. I am not afraid of any disease. It would be my greatest delight even to minister to the abandoned lepers. And so, sure enough, on the SS Mariposa, uh, they traveled in 1883 uh, from Syracuse all the way to Honolulu. Okay, now I was reading about her ahead of this conversation, and it yeah. said that when she arrived in 1883, she had only planned to spend a few weeks in Hawaii, but she didn't actually leave Hawaii until 2005 when her relics were transferred <laughs> back to New York. Why did she stay? Well, first, I think part of it was she recognizes the immensity of the work that had to be done. Uh, I think also, as is often the case with great saints like Damien of Molokai, I compare this also to uh, uh, someone that uh, we hope one day will be at least declared venerable, and that's uh, Demetrius Galitzin, the, the mm. Reverend Prince. But that's another yes. whole story. My point is that he recognized uh, in 1800 that he was called to, to devote his entire life to Western Pennsylvania. Here, Mother Mary Ann decided and recognized in prayer, I think, that she was called to help not just the lepers, but the whole of the kingdom of Hawaii. And that meant uh, building hospitals. That meant really bringing her administrative genius to bear uh, for the good of the whole island. But I think also she was recognizing uh, that to be that presence, to help proclaim Jesus Christ in the work of her and her sisters was what she was asked to do, and and the, the Kingdom of Hawaii embraced her. Uh, the king gave her the cross of the Companion of the Royal Order of Kapiolani for her immense work, but she was also fearless in insisting on the very best of medical care across the board, and as she did in places like Syracuse and New York, she demanded that everyone be treated exactly the same, because of the dignity of the human person. And it was, that's crucial, I think. And then, of course, she made her way to Molokai. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, and I want to get to that, her relationship with Father Damien, but I want to hit on that point for a second. I mean, what a witness to human dignity, because it's one thing to just minister to people and, and you know, just kind of do what you can. And it's another to insist on the very best of, of what's available to minister to these people. Well, that's right. And, and as I was saying, too, she was very blunt with the government that uh, unless they were willing to work with her to have these standards of care uh, and that people are not abused, that people are treated with dignity, that she would pack up her bags and leave because she could not bear uh, to witness this, but also she could not herself become an accomplice to this type of um, government inaction and government indifference. And I think that was very crucial to the success that followed in creating these hospitals and turning them around. But it was also something that she then brought uh, to Molokai. You know, yeah. Father Damien had been working there for many, many years. But what she was able to do was to bring and the next level of professional care, of genuine organized medical care, uh, and in that, I think Damien recognized immediately in her 
that she was going to be his successor. And I think it gave him immense spiritual consolation as he was in his last days uh, when she finally moved to Kalapapa, uh, Molokai, in 1888. Well, what a power couple, even if only for a short <laughs> period of time. That's absolutely right. Uh, now, I, I've always had the impression that uh, Mother Marianne considered Damien somewhat disorganized. Um, <laughs> this is someone, let's remember, who, in order to save time, would put his meals on a large soda cracker so he wouldn't have to do dishes. So he'd eat his dinner and then he'd eat the soda cracker. She had a very different approach to how she wanted to organize uh, the, the colony, so-called, of, of lepers on Molokai. And I think he recognized that the time had come for that as well. Mm. Well, what does Mother Marianne Cope have to say to us today, Dr. Bunsen? Well, I always say that we have to put all of our gifts uh, to, to God and let him do with them what he will. And sometimes that means we're going to be setting out on an immense adventure we could never have imagined in our lives. Mm. Amen. St. Mary Ann Cope, pray for pray us. Pray for us. We've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen. You can find EWTN News linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bunsen, thank you so much. Great to be with you. Have a great day. You do the same. What a story. What a week of uh, feast days, actually. We had Vincent Pilata yesterday. We got Marianne Cope today. Francis de Sales tomorrow. The conversion of St. Paul on the 25th. And it goes on and on. Pretty cool. We got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hope you can stay with us. continue on this Tuesday, the 23rd of January. It's the Feast of St. Mary Ann Cope. Let's pray the collect from Mass today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O God, who called us to serve your Son and the least of our brothers and sisters, grant, we pray, that by the example and intercession of the Virgin St. Mary Ann Cope, we may burn with love for you and for those who suffer. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. <clears throat> Mary Ann Cope, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on a Tuesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has the video feed up and running at sunrisemorningshow.com. We'll be joined by Catherine Fishlock, who has some New Year's resolutions for parish music programs, maybe some ways to step up the game in your church music world. Father Patrick Briscoe will discuss some recent comments by Pope Francis regarding hell and... Uh, that should be an interesting conversation. Steve Ray is going to talk about boys and boyhood in the Bible. We'll also talk to Chris McGregor from Discerning Hearts about a sermon from St. Bernard of Clairvaux on sin and grace from the Office of Readings. So stay with us if you can.
Right now it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. A small New Hampshire town kicked off the first in the nation Republican primary voting in the state. Six registered voters in a small town called Dixville Notch near the Canadian border continued a decades-long tradition of casting their votes at midnight. Of the four Republicans and two independents that make up all of the area voters, all cast their votes for former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Polls elsewhere in the state are open now, and many will remain open until 7 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Pope Francis met yesterday with journalists accredited to the Holy See, calling on them to love humanity and learn humility. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The beauty of your work around Peter is that it is founded on the solid rock of responsibility in truth, not on the fragile sands of gossip and ideological interpretations. Pope Francis offered that reminder on Monday to 150-odd Vatican journalists, often called Vaticanisti, who are members of the International Association of Journalists accredited to the Vatican. I know your passion, your love for what you recount, and your trials, said the Pope. He apologized for the times when their work to cover the Pope and the Vatican have taken the reporters away from their families. Pope Francis noted that being a journalist is a vocation, something like that of a doctor, who, he said, chooses to love humanity by caring for its illnesses. The Holy Father went on to express his gratitude to the Vaticanisti for their journalistic work and for their constancy and patience in building bridges of knowledge and communication instead of divisions and diffidence. Taking his cue from an 80-year-old Vaticanista, the Pope urged the group to love humanity and learn humility. The Pope also recalled an admonition by his predecessor, Pope St. Paul VI, who said the work of journalists covering the Church should not be guided by secular and political categories. Pope Francis thanked the Vaticanisti for seeking to look beyond appearances and avoiding the twin pitfalls of turning news about the Vatican into a mere spectacle or of idealizing it under the guise of politics. Departing from his prepared text, Pope Francis thanked the Vatican journalists for the delicacy that you often show in speaking about the scandals of the Church, referring to their respect for victims and their efforts to avoid dwelling on the more lurid details. The work of reporters covering the Vatican concluded the Pope lies in not hiding reality or sugarcoating tensions, but in striving to capture the essential in light of the nature of the Church. I'm Devin Watkins. The White House says it's committed to, quote, doing everything it can to pass federal legislation to make abortion a federal right. Director of the White House Gender Policy Council, Jennifer Klein, joined a White House press briefing yesterday to mark the 51st anniversary of Roe v. Wade, which was overturned in 2022. She outlined the steps the Biden administration is taking, including making contraception more accessible, as well as what she described as emergency reproductive care. Meanwhile, Vice President Kamala Harris kicked off a nationwide tour promoting abortion rights. And abortion advocates in both Colorado and Maryland used yesterday's anniversary to launch campaigns to enshrine abortion in their state constitutions. The U.S. Navy is declaring dead and identifying two Navy SEALs who went missing in the waters of the Gulf of Aden near Somalia. Christopher Chambers and Nathan Ingram disappeared earlier this month during a special covert mission to seize Iranian missile parts on their way to Yemen. 
One fell into rough waters. The other jumped in to rescue him. President Biden honored the two yesterday, calling the incident a profound loss for our country. Meanwhile, defense officials say the U.S. and United Kingdom carried out another round of strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen yesterday. Ryan Shook has more. The joint airstrikes hit an underground storage site and locations associated with the group's missile and air surveillance capabilities. This is the second time both U.S. and U.K. forces have conducted strikes on the Houthis in Yemen since the group began attacking international shipping in the Red Sea in November. The Iranian-backed group says the attacks are in retaliation for Israel's bombing of Gaza. I'm Brian Shook. The Supreme Court has granted the Biden administration's request to throw out a lower court ruling which banned federal agents from removing the razor wire that Texas had strung across the border. This clears way for federal officials to remove physical barriers. And the Federal Trade Commission is banning a company from selling or licensing people's precise geolocation data for the first time ever. The FTC settled with Texas-based data aggregator in-market media after they gathered troves of consumer location data from mobile apps without disclosing that it would be used for targeted advertising. The agency alleges the data broker marketed to advertisers looking for certain categories of people such as, quote, Christian churchgoers, quote, parents of preschoolers, and, quote, children who are homeschooled. Hmm. I don't want anybody to know any of these things about me. I don't know. You know, sometimes I get really creeped out by this, and that does kind of creep me out. But then at the same time, I get an ad that's targeted at me, and I'm like, I need that. I want so that. So what, what always freaks and me out is that I'll be it is that i be saying things about something that's going on in my life, and then mm-hmm. I get on, like, Facebook yep. and, and there's an check ad something that... out, and there's an ad for that thing. I'm like, get out of my life. It's like I'm like Ron Swanson. I'm going to throw the computer in the dumpster behind the, the And yet house. you never have. And yet I never have because if I do that, then I can't do the morning show. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. It is a uh, – it is a good and it is an evil technology. May we approach it ethically. Yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, today is Tuesday, January the 23rd, the Feast of St. Mary Ann Cope. Pray for us. It's nine past. Our Sunrise Morning Show music teacher is now with us here in studio, Catherine Fishlock, professional singer, musician, and teacher. Catherine, it's good to see you. It's nice to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year (laughs) to you. Yes, in a new year. And so people are really into resolutions this time of year. So let's talk about resolutions in terms of, of a parish music program how would you encourage or what would you encourage parish music directors to resolve when it comes to their parish music program yeah that's a wonderful question and um i've been thinking a lot actually over the christmas time thinking a lot about um various things having to do with with liturgy and church music but also just like with the bigger picture of you know the world and the church and individual lives and there's so much 
we all have so many burdens, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're praying about, there's so much to pray about and so much to, um, to, to beg God to help us through. And, and I started thinking, you know, the, the, the purpose of sacred music and the job of liturgical musicians is to glorify God and to sanctify the people. Mm. And we, we need to immerse ourselves more deeply in the liturgy, yeah. that, that the Mass as source and summit really has to be our rock yeah. in just the turbulence of life, you know, at all, all times anyway, right? But I feel like um, it would be wonderful, a great, it would be a great resolution, I think, for parish musicians and, and priests and uh, parochial vicars, also pastors and parochial vicars, to to kind of assess, kind of take a take a step back and look at your parish, listen to your liturgies. Are th- are they holy? Are they serene yet joyful in a you know a joyful in a supernatural kind of way, not sure. a necessarily like a very external jumping up and down kind of way, but <laughs> but but a deep inner joy that comes from a peacefulness. Um, and and are the people growing in in holiness? Yeah. How would <clears throat> how would you I mean, I know you've retired from from parish music direction, so to speak. But when you were working as a music director at a parish, how would you assess that? You know, like what what would you do as the parish music director? What sort of because you know, you want to have like, I don't know, kind of a ladder of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. holiness, so to speak, some sure. demarcations uh, to indicate that that this is happening instead of just having like oh well it feels holy yeah, right. um, you don't want to you don't want to launch into to that kind of mode of thinking so how would you how would you assess that um well my my feeling was um you know you get a sense off the people from the choir loft yeah, <laughs> you sort of sure, you know you yeah. kind of learn that um and to me it was really i felt that it was really reflected in um, how people held themselves, the bodily posture of people, the prayer mm, postures, interesting. How, yeah. how sincere they seemed, how um, the, also the, um, the approach to communion, you know, the whole, how did the procession seem to move? Did it seem um, sort of recollected and uh-huh. deliberate or just kind of shuffling up for communion? I don't know. You know, there was just a sure. sense of, understanding what was happening mm. at each point in the mass how attentive to the readings how um how hearty were the responses you know the part not the hymn singing per se but the parts of the mass that belong to the people that are basically oh, actually their parts indicating engagement yes yeah. exactly you know when the priest says the lord be with you and you get a resounding and, and with, with your, your spirit, spirit. it's yeah. beautiful and it's such a it's like wow we here we are in community mm-hmm. as we want to be as individuals in our you know we have our relationship with god one on one but as the body of christ and there are, to me, there are just markers of mm-hmm. how the congregation is responding within the context of the mass. Can I give you some, just some thoughts that I'm having right now? And of I'm curious, just, and feel free to reject my <laughs> ideas. So don't feel like you have to affirm me just because I'm, you know, I'm the one controlling this conversation. Um, 
whether or not you hear all of the kneelers go up at once just as soon as the priest sits down after Holy Communion. Thoughts? I I heartily agree. Okay. It's very disturbing to me. (laughs) Everybody's watching Father, waiting to know when they can stop kneeling and sit down. Right. Yeah? Yes. And I think that that points to another very clear indication. Do the people feel compelled that they have to sit because father sits or or do they stay on their knees and continue to mm-hmm. pray until mm-hmm. he stands which is really you know right what, when we move together sure. right um i think also another thing is um what happens after the first after the last hymn oh yeah this was you know, this was going to be my yes. next thing Dude. whether or not you hear a bunch of uh well, kneelers hit the floor because mm-hmm. people are kneeling down to pray, right. or whether you start hearing applause, <laughs> or whether you start hearing a bunch of conversations right. almost immediately as soon as mm-hmm. the organ or the piano or whatever musical instruments are being used at Mass right. are, are silenced. Right. Um, all exactly. of these things seem all to be indicators. Yes, and I, I think, too, the level of... Uh, even... <laughs> that's kind of funny you mentioned the kneelers. I think even the level of how loud the kneelers are like if you're really if uh, to me if you're in that prayerful mass kind of you know otherworldly place mm-hmm. um your 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 bodily movements change i mm-hmm. really believe that they become more serene more controlled i don't think you slam the kneeler up and down i think you gently place it up mm-hmm. or down and to me that's that's another kind of indicator of where the of where that where the where the heads are where the focus is um and so then what does a parish music director do to try to move the congregation into a holier direction Mm -hmm. well i have i don't know what other people would say maybe this is kind of a crazy idea but i've always had this sort of image well we're on crazy plenty of people think i'm crazy I have this image, I've always had this image of the liturgy as sort of shaped like an hourglass. Mm. And um, that you have, you know, you can have a big, glorious opening hymn to cover the procession, and it's beautiful. It's this coming together of everybody. It's the high point, hopefully, of everybody's week, you know, of their life even. Um, and so there's a sense of, you know, that then that progression of, anticipation towards the gospel Mm -hmm. and then at the offertory as we prepare for sacrifice it quiets down it narrows down into a more intimate kind of place a more intimate relationship between the you know the creator and the sinner Mm -hmm. and um what is about to happen on our behalf and so that whole middle part offertory um consecration communion is is gratitude gratitude right right is is there's a peacefulness a serenity about it that i think enables people to be drawn more deeply into the actual mystery of what's going on we'll have to talk about this more we've run out of time for today but in the meantime if you'd like to get in touch with Catherine fishlock have her help your choir enter into a holier direction you can contact us through our website and we'll get you in touch with her Catherine. it was so good to see you thank you good to be here our sunrise morning and we'll be right back with headlines it's 17 past support is from solidarity health share do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything even things that violate your beliefs 
Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi, this is Mike Aquilino with a few words about St. Irenaeus. It's only recently that Pope Francis has declared him to be a doctor of the church. And this is unusual because he's been dead for many centuries, almost two millennia. But I think he's a man for our time because he's teaching us to think, to have an educated faith, to know the reasons for what we believe and then present those to a skeptical world. 19 minutes past the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. Voting is getting underway today in New Hampshire's presidential primary. The bishops of Haiti have written a letter asking for the release of six religious sisters who have been kidnapped. And Pope Francis met yesterday with journalists accredited to the Holy See, calling on them to love humanity and learn humility. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Happy Feast of St. Mary Ann Cope to anybody listening in the Utica, New York area. Of course, that's where she started doing some of her work. And then, of course, a happy feast day to those of you listening in Hawaii as well because she ended up there also. Two very, very different climates. It always strikes Indeed. me. She was Marianne a hearty, hearty woman. Was, uh, she weathered both ends of the weather spectrum, as mm-hmm. it were. Snowy Utica and balmy Sunny Hawaii. Hawaii. St. Mary Ann Cope, pray, pray for, for us. us. It's 21 minutes past the hour. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. This is Father Rob Jack. Please join with me now in this prayer for priests. God, our Father, you entrust your priests with the care of your people. Through their teaching, leading, and sanctifying, they gather your church into one body and strengthen her in her evangelical mission. Bless our priests and bishops, especially those for whom we now pray. Give them the grace to be effective witnesses of your mercy, love, and truth. Bless those priests who suffer from sickness and disease, both in mind and body. Bless our dying priests. May they offer their sufferings for the good of all your people and find healing and consolation in this life, if it be your holy will. Bless those priests who have failed and suffer hardship. Send them your spirit of forgiveness and help them to turn again to you. Lord, deepen our love for our priests. Lord, inspire many young men to answer your call to the priesthood. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Patrick Briscoe, the editor of our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. You know, another week, another uh, controversial comment from Pope Francis. Uh, He made quite a bit of stir recently with a comment um, about hell. Can you tell us what he had to say, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. So the Holy Father was interviewed recently at length. Uh, So the interview took place on January 14th, and it was on an Italian uh, TV channel. And in the course of the interview, the interviewer asked the Holy Father how he imagines hell, how he imagines hell. And so the Pope responded saying, it's difficult to imagine it. He added, what I would say is not a dogma of faith, but my personal thought, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is. Hmm. Okay, so that's what actually happened. That's what we actually have the Holy Father saying. But subsequently, a lot of Catholic commentators, um, people responding on social media, uh, had a a very um, heartfelt, very, very loud conversation, as it were, about the nature of hell and whether or not the Pope declared hell empty. Do you think the Pope declared hell empty? No, I think that's an unjust reading of of what the Holy Father said. I, I think in this case, actually, Pope Francis's words were reasonably clear and were distorted intentionally. Okay, so what would be the difference between believing that hell is empty and hoping that hell is empty? Right, exactly. So here, if we look at if we look what the Holy Father said, I mean, and, and again, this isn't even really parsing the words. The Pope said, I like to think hell is empty. I hope it is, meaning I, I want it to be. Yeah. And I think Shouldn't that Shouldn't we all want it a, to be empty? Yeah, exactly. There's a way in which this, <laughs> the, that we're all called to we're all called to have that same thought. And even the Lord in his giving of grace um disposes us all to respond to him um in in a way uh such that he doesn't long for any of us to go to hell. God does not want anyone uh, to abandon him. God wants everyone to be saved. Okay. So that's a, that's the fundamental that's the fundamental point of the invitation of life uh, in our Heavenly Father's offer by the Lord Jesus. So, so at the beginning, we, we, do, we don't want to say that there's anyone marked for hell, that there's anyone uh, 
who's who's condemned for hell from the outset. Um, but yeah. it is likely, though, that uh, even though we hope, even though we hope hell is empty, that there are probably people there. So there's a difference between saying, "I hope hell is empty," and "I think it probably is." Mm. Are we? Yeah. Well, that was kind of leads me to my next question, which is um, a question that actually got asked of me um, just a couple of days ago. Are we allowed to believe that hell is empty? So this is a little bit more controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some uh, there are some who hold that at the end of time, all things will be reconciled in Christ and hell will be emptied. That has never been the mainstream Christian position, so that's a position called universalism. Um, it was advanced by Church Fathers like Origen um, and has held by, been held by some others. In the modern era, universalism has become more and more popular, but again, that was never the, the mainstream, that was never the majority Christian position. And, and I would caution people from holding it because of the obvious um, import it has on evangelization. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because actually, I think a lot of people want to hold on to this hope and or belief because we all, Father, have a lot of loved ones who don't go to church. They've fallen away, probably live in objectively sinful situations, maybe all of the above here. But they're, you know, they're nice people. They believe God exists, even if he's not some huge part of their lives. Is is that loved one really going to go to hell at the end of this? Yeah, absolutely. So one can easily see why it's an attractive view. I mean, of course, ultimately, we don't know how the Lord is going to judge. Uh, he judges. We don't. Um, mm-hmm. So on the last day, that, that will fall to him. I mean, there are certain passages of Jesus in Scripture, they give, they give us caution. Um, so I'm thinking, for example, of Matthew 25, where the Lord gives us the corporal works of mercy. And he, he reminds us that as we've done to the least of these, so we've done to him, right? And to those who have failed to um, give a drink to those who thirst, to give food to those who are hungry, etc., those who have failed in the corporal works of mercy, Jesus says, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mm. Uh, so, so it appears in this and in other passages of the Gospels, where it's pretty clear that Jesus is going to, according to his mind, not ours, according to his mind, not ours, uh, separate us according to what we've done and what we failed to do. Mm-hmm. I have heard from another priest, though, Father, just to kind of end on on a bit of a hopeful note here, um, that that deathbed conversions are actually a lot more numerous than than we might think they are. Has that been your experience as a priest? They uh, certainly, uh, they're very powerful receiving receiving the sacraments. Uh, so this is this is a good moment to say uh, for, for, for anyone listening, for their family members, do not wait to call a priest to receive yeah. final sacraments, to be anointed, to make a last confession. And then, apart from those moments, we we don't we don't know what kind of movements of heart happen in those those last moments of life. And so, between the sacraments and those last moments of life, there are very powerful opportunities for conversion. And we certainly pray for all who are on their deathbeds today that uh, 
that they can receive the grace of the final sacraments and um, accept that mercy that the Lord offers us always until those final moments. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The eyes of the political world will be on New Hampshire today as voters are heading to the polls for the state's presidential primary. The Republican contest is a head-to-head battle between former President Donald Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. On the Democratic side, President Biden's name is not on the ballot due to a dispute over the primary calendar. A small New Hampshire town always kicks off this first-in-the-nation Republican primary voting for the state. Trey Thomas has more. Six registered voters in a small town called Dixville Notch continued a decades-long tradition with four Republicans and two independents casting their ballots at midnight. So it didn't take long for poll workers to tally the votes. And as you can see on the board there, Haley six, Trump zero. There were no, no one took a Democrat. The rest of the state takes to the polls in the morning. I'm Trey Thomas. A Hamas official says there is, quote, no chance of releasing more Israeli hostages after Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected their conditions. Mark Mayfield reports. Those conditions included leaving Hamas in power and a complete Israeli withdrawal from the Gaza Strip. The two sides have been at war since a Hamas attack on Israel in October killed more than 1,200 people. Since then, more than 25,000 people have been killed in Gaza, and Netanyahu has vowed that Hamas will be destroyed. An estimated 240 hostages were taken in the October attack, with more than 100 released in prisoner exchanges with Israel. I'm Mark Mayfield. Defense officials say the U.S. and United Kingdom carried out another round of strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen. The joint airstrikes hit an underground storage site and locations associated with the group's missiles and air surveillance capabilities. This is the second time both U.S. and U.K. forces have conducted strikes on the Houthis in Yemen since the group began attacking international shipping in the Red Sea in November. The Iranian-backed group says the attacks are in retaliation for Israel's bombing of Gaza. Meanwhile, the U.S. Navy has declared dead and is identifying two Navy SEALs who went missing in the waters of the Gulf of Aden near Somalia. Christopher Chambers and Nathan Ingram disappeared earlier this month during a special covert mission to seize Iranian missile parts on their way to Yemen. One fell into rough waters. The other jumped in to rescue him. President Biden honored the two yesterday, calling it a profound loss for our country. The bishops of Haiti have written a letter asking for the release of six religious sisters who have been kidnapped there. From Vatican Radio, James Blears reports. In a letter, the Archdiocese and the Bishops' Conference states that Haitians are weary of what they call this reign of terror inflicted by gangs. It's urging the government to do its duty and protect citizens, saying on many occasions the church has denounced their silence, which is an attitude of contempt concerning the suffering of the people. Furthermore, they said they're distressed to witness a lack of apparent response to the scourge of kidnappings, which has been going on for more than two 
years. They say this has plunged Haiti into an increasingly chaotic crisis. They're demanding the safe release of the six nuns. The nuns are members of the St. Anne congregation who've devoted themselves to helping children and the poor in Haiti for 80 years, particularly with education and social development. They were abducted at gunpoint from a bus in Port-au-Prince along with two other people. No gang or armed group has yet claimed responsibility. In Haiti, Bishop Pierre-André Dumas has denounced the kidnappings. He's calling for an end to this deplorable criminality, saying this odious and barbaric act shows no respect for the dignity of consecrated women who've given themselves wholeheartedly and completely to educate and form the young, the poorest and the most vulnerable members of our society. His Holiness has appealed for their release, saying he learned of this with great sorrow, asking for the violence to cease, which is causing so much suffering. More than 2,000 people were kidnapped in Haiti last year. That's an increase of 80% on the previous 12 months. Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, in dire need of international funding from the international community, stability plus law and order, all of which are lacking. For Vatican Radio, Jens Blitz reporting. And pro-abortion groups in Maryland and Colorado yesterday launched campaigns to enshrine abortion in their state constitutions. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. If someone were to ask you to identify some of the composers in the Bible, you might come up with David right away, remembering that some 70 psalms are attributed to David in the Psalter. With a little reflection... We might remember that Moses' sister Miriam sang a song of victory at the time of the crossing of the Red Sea. We might also think about Paul as a composer. His letters include lyrics to songs or the hymn about the preeminence of Jesus in Colossians 1. But would we think of the prophet Jeremiah as a composer? According to Second Chronicles, Jeremiah composed a lament for King Josiah. In fact, Lamentations 4, verse 20, was once thought to refer to King Josiah. It reads, The anointed one of the Lord, our breath of life, was caught in their snares, he in whose shadow we thought we could live on among the nations. Of course, all of us, in a sense, can be composers. We can all read the Bible and spend the rest of the day singing a song of praise to the Lord. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues here on a Tuesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Uh, good to talk with you today. 
Yeah, today we get to talk about boys and boyhood in the Bible. The word boy, uh, the word that's translated boy, actually can be translated a few different ways, right? Yes, there's there's two different words uh, in the Bible, especially in the Greek, and, and uh, mechanikos is, is 70 times. That just means young man. But the word boy, which you see oftentimes 65 times, can also mean a servant, a youth, or even a slave. So it's the context that tells you what it is. So, for example, when they found Jesus in the temple, it says the boy Jesus. It's this word, so you know he's not a servant or a slave. So it means a child or a, or a young boy. So, yep, two words, and together uh, 65 times one and 70 times the other. Well, <clears throat> if someone were to assign a craft uh, to our listeners and tell them to draw a famous Bible character, I bet you a lot of people would be drawing a lot of old men with beards. Right. Yes. But in fact, <laughs> that's true. Uh, a lot of the old men with beards that we know from the Bible, we actually meet as boys along the way, don't we? Yeah, there's this is interesting that they, there are we don't think of it, but there are a lot of boys mentioned or young men prior to marriageable Uh-oh. age, adulthood. Lost oh. Steve there. Oh, do we lose you? Am I back? You're back. You're back. As okay, you were but, saying. I am back. So yes, there's a lot of time mentioned boys, and they are under the wing of their father, and they're learning. So I, I made a list of them. I don't. We don't have time to go through them all, but just look at Isaac alone, who is a young man going taken up on the altar to be sacrificed. He was stronger than his old father. He was a willing sacrifice. He was probably 15 years old at the time. Joseph, he had dreams when he was 17 years old to predict what's going to happen in the world in the next uh, 50 years or so. Moses was put in a bulrushes when he was a little baby and raised as an Egyptian. So we could that's just the book of Genesis and Exodus. But we have also Samuel, David, John the Baptist, Jesus, a boy with the loaves and fish, St. John the Apostle, which I think was a young guy when he first became a disciple of Jesus. Paul, we know about him when he's young. Eutychus fell out a window and died when Paul was preaching, the young man, and Timothy met Paul when he was just a young teenager. So these are all just some of the young men the Bible mentions, and they're very important that we know them, especially fathers should teach these to their sons. So the sons can have some heroes as their young boys growing up. Well, and when it uh, there's a discussion of of boys and and dads in the mix of this, I mean, there are a lot of instructions that fathers get in terms of how they're supposed to raise their sons. Uh, and that goes from the book of Proverbs to uh, Saint Paul in the book of Ephesians to even uh, a lot of the the Jewish tradition from rabbis. Yes, uh, education of a boy is very important, and a girl too, but boys significantly back in that culture. And the fathers were the ones that were the main teachers, but guess what? That hasn't changed. The fathers are still the main educators of their kids today, and fathers need to step up to that job. But even in the rabbis, we learn there's one uh, rabbi in the first century who says, any father who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief. Meaning, if he doesn't have a way to make a living, he'll have to steal to survive. And in that passage, he even says his father should teach him how to swim. This is, this is um, you know, first century. But then also there's a, a series that tells in the rabbis, in the uh, Mishnah, that it, what do you, it's a progression of years. At five years old, the boy should study scripture. Well, who's going to teach him scripture? Obviously, his mother and father. Ten years old, he learns the tradition. 
at 13 years old, he practices the commandments. That's called bar mitzvah. He becomes a son of the law. He now has to be, as an adult Jew, obeying the law himself. At 15 years old, he should study all the tradition in the Talmud. And at 18 years, he goes and finds a bride. So here you've got kind of the years planned out for your son as he gets older. So I want to focus in on uh, Ephesians chapter 6. You know, here at the end of Ephesians, Paul gets a lot of family advice in. And a lot of times we tend to focus on the, uh, you know, the husbands and wives part of this. But there's some very interesting stuff between children and their fathers, uh, including some instructions to fathers about how they shouldn't uh, go too hard on their boys. Yes, because I think sometimes fathers have a tendency to do that, and I know some situation where fathers have done that to their boys, and it kind of, it kind of damages the son and his whole psyche uh, when he gets older. He never feels like he can ever be a good enough, and sometimes that happens. But it says, children, this would be girls and boys, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, obey your honor your father and your mother, for this is right. And then fathers, this, and see, it shows that the father is the educator and the disciplinarian. It doesn't say mothers don't provoke your children to anger. It's fathers. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, don't, don't uh, push them to, you know, be, be fair, be right with them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's very significant there. So you don't provoke your son to, your children to anger, to, to make them, um, uh, rebel against you. Work with them. Be a good father. Good, a good disciplinarian, and teach them about the Lord. Be a good example to them. And then Ephesians chapter two and three says, "Honor your father and mother." This is the commands to the children: honor your father and mother. And this goes right back to the commandments, doesn't it? That everything may go well with you, and you live long on the land. Of all the commands that we have of the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that has a promise: if you honor your father and mother, you will live long on the land. You will have long life. So this is a, a little bit here from Ephesians about fathers and sons. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of uh, great stuff, um, again, of uh, people being trained up in the Lord. Uh, we just heard fairly recently from Samuel being brought up uh, you know, as a boy and hearing the voice of yep. the Lord there. There are all kinds of great examples uh, of of boys who do the right thing, but uh, maybe to close it out, we can uh, give an example of a bunch of boys who did the wrong thing. Always identified with this story. Identify it yeah. with it more once I began to lose my hair. But this is in Second Kings, right? Yeah, it is. It's a really a bizarre story. Um, I had fun when I made our documentary D a DVD and filmed it over there on this story. Uh, on the jo Jordan Israel side, but it says that Elisha went up to Bethel. So Elisha has just left Elijah. He's been on the other side of the Jordan River. Elijah went up into heaven. Elisha walks across the Jordan River and is immediately confronted by probably a hundred boys, young boys. They came out there, hooligans is what I call them. And they came out of the city and they started to jeer him saying, why don't you go up to you, bald head? Elisha had no hair. He was a bald headed man. They're making fun of a prophet. And they say, Elijah went up. Why don't you go up to you, old bald head? And as soon as he did, these two she bears came out of the woods and tore up. 42 of the boys now when it says it tore up 42 it doesn't mean there are 42 boys it just means they tore up 42 out of the bigger crowd and so the mod, the moral of that story is don't make fun of a bald-headed prophet there you go yeah I, you know and don't <laughs> uh don't get I, there's another moral in this story too 
just because a pack of your friends is going along and doing something doesn't mean that you should be involved in whatever it is they're doing. Sometimes yep. Yep. Uh, you get a, a group of boys together and what you have is a mob. <laughs> it is. So, you know, and I, I had a scary situation once in the Kidron Valley by the springs of Gihon when we were filming. A whole bunch of young guys came, some of them on donkeys even, and they wanted money. And they really were starting to – my filming crew, they were climbing on us and pulling us down. And it was a very scary thing because there's probably 50 of them. There's no way we could have resisted them all. Um, but but uh, we did get, get away from them. But that was it for a few moments. That was a scary situation, very much like this. Yeah. And uh, as the uh, conventional wisdom goes, uh, even when you're older, don't get involved in the mob thing. <laughs> yeah, People, right, exactly. You, uh, you become uh, significantly less intelligent when you surround yourself with people who are passionate and making dumb decisions. So right. good they, stuff. They start acting like animals. Yep. Exactly. Very exactly. good. Well, so they got some animals that uh, corrected them in that particular situation. <laughs> 14 till Steve Ray. We've got CatholicConvert.com linked at sunrise morning show. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. Chris McGregor joins us next. We're back right after this support for the sunrise morning show is from visiting angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. If the cold winter mornings make you want to stay in bed, it's time to get some Mystic Monk coffee or tea to help make kicking off the covers a little easier. And when you head to their site by clicking the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission on your purchase without spending anything extra. While you're at our site, be sure to check out our online store where you can buy Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I am a very happy, grateful revert to the faith. About 12 years ago, I was surfing the channels and I found EWTN. I didn't even know it existed and I heard mother and remembered that years ago, I had told a Catholic nun at a church in Boston that I was visiting that I missed the faith and she said, you will come back. And when I was listening to Mother Angelica, I remembered that. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, it's an open forum with Tim Staples and Joe Heschmeyer. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you, Cy. It's 12 till. Here's Anna with headlines. The eyes of the political world will be on New Hampshire today as voters are heading to the polls now for the state's presidential primary. The bishops of Haiti have written a letter asking for the release of six religious sisters who have been kidnapped there. 
And Pope Francis met yesterday with journalists accredited to the Holy See, calling on them to love humanity and learn humility. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Chris McGregor from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Anna. How are you today? I am doing fine. I'm always smiling when I hear your voice. It's good to have you back. How are well, you? You make, me, you make me smile, too. Boy, what a mutual Stop. smile society. Stop. People can watch <laughs> me on video now, so they know that I'm telling the truth when I say it, too. So oh, well, cool. they're not going to see me on video not looking like this this morning. <laughs> One of these days, we'll put you on camera with me, but... For now, we have uh, our boy, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, to talk about today in uh, this week's selection from the Office of Readings. It's uh, from a sermon of his on the Song of Songs, but he borrows heavily from St. Paul, I think. Give us an overview. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> I mean, not a bad choice in borrowing, yeah, for sure. No, it, well, it's wonderful about this reading. It's actually for tomorrow's. It's uh, the feral reading for Wednesday uh, and of the third week in Ordinary Time, which just happens to be the, the feast of St. Francis de Sales. Mm-hmm. So when, when we were first looking at the Office of Readings, uh, you see uh, the wonderful account by Francis de Sales, which I encourage people to go and to read. But it is really fitting that they have St. Bernard of Clairvaux here talking about grace over sin, because that was the thing that really affected uh, St. Francis of DeSales when he was 19. He had a real, uh, just a total breakdown, they, not only just in his mind as far as trying to cope with predestination and the Calvinist mm-hmm. teaching on that doctrine, but it, fe- it affected him uh, just physically and it wasn't until he encountered this tremendous, had this moment of grace, praying with Our Lady, uh, the Black Madonna, in uh, the Church of St. Anthony in Paris. And he was kneeling there, and he saw the prayer of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the great no Memorari. The Memorari. You're wondering where I'm going with this. Yeah. But um, it had talked, and in that moment... In praying with Our Lady, she reminded him through grace, I think, and well, the Holy Spirit came upon him in, in grace of God's great love. Mm. And that trumps this idea that there, in his mercy, that you will, it's much bigger, and that God's love is much, it can, it, and he keeps his promises. And what St. Bernard is doing, which he wrote about 500 years before this experience in this sermon on the Song of Songs, he's reminding us to don't forget about the wounds of Christ, that he loved you so much, and there's so much abundant grace that is waiting for you, that it triumphs over sin, where sin abounded, grace has overflowed. And, and that there's nothing, nothing that can be thrown at. The world rages, the flesh is heavy, the devil lays his snares, but do not fall, for my feet are planted on firm rock. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? It's so something. And there, there is something that I want to talk about in that, in that I think is, is really hard for, for many of us Christians, particularly Christian women, in allowing the Lord to love us. Um, but 
Before we get to that point, which I think is the most important point, but lest we mm-hmm. misunderstand Bernard and lest we misunderstand St. Paul, uh, they're not telling us to sin and sin boldly, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, just to take it back to what St. Francis de Sales was struggling with. That's exactly right, and I'm glad you brought that up. It is the, it's the conscience that is afflicted so heavily by the wounds of sin that they feel they can never be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And, what, and so they don't, it, it's the Judas experience of that. I can't go. My sin is so big, which really is the affliction of the, the Mac Daddy of all sins, pride. It's the yeah. spiritual pride that what I did was so big. And St. Bernard is reminding, no, 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 you can be forgiven and begin anew. Turn to me. There is nothing that you can do in that that I can't bear up and bring into grace the healing power to your soul. But you're absolutely right. It's not about, well, I can sin, 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 and then um, I'm going to be forgiven anything. Because there has to be that acknowledgement, that I, that turning, that conversion, turning mm-hmm. towards the Lord and desiring that. Exactly. That, that firm purpose of amendment that mm-hmm. we hear about in catechism class. Because, you know, I think uh, oftentimes, Chris, we, we might think that somebody that persists in, in grave sin um, unto death, uh, that those are the people who, who really choose hell. But I think that there is also in this world those who, who would love to accept the mercy of God, but they somehow cannot get themselves to that point, cannot believe that God would love someone like me. And, and, and I think those are the people that Bernard is reaching out to in this sermon to say, no, look at what the Lord did. Let him love you. Enter into those wounds that he took on for your sake. There's no greater love, as he will point out, no greater love than the one who, look at that, it's the most sincere. It, it has a, he'll say that through these sacred wounds, we can see the secret of his heart, the great mystery of what love is, the sincerity of his mercy with which he visited us, visited us from on high, the sincerity of mercy. It is, and it, it awaits for every soul. But gaze upon that and know that he did that for you. Receive that. He writes, I may have sinned gravely. My conscience would be distressed, but it would not be in turmoil, for I would recall the wounds of the Lord. He was wounded for our iniquities. What sin is there so deadly that it cannot be pardoned by the death of Christ? And so if I bear in mind the strong, effective remedy... I can never again be terrified by the malignancy of sin. Strong, effective remedy. Amen. Amen. St. Bernard, our boy. St. Bernard of Clairvaux uh, in the office of readings this week. We've been talking about it with Chris McGregor. And you can find her site, discerninghearts.com, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Chris, thank you so much. You're so welcome. And that will do it for this Tuesday edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. As Chris was just mentioning, tomorrow the feast of St. Francis de Sales, the great doctor of the church. Much more on him, of course, tomorrow. Until then, 
EWTN. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.